Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. Kasten, an independent Kubernetes business unit within Veeam, is the market leader for Kubernetes backup, disaster recovery, and mobility. Kasten is tackling day two data management challenges by helping teams run cloud native applications. Its award-winning K10 data management platform is easy to use, scalable, secure, and runs everywhere Kubernetes exists. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the New Stack Makers. Today, I am lucky to have Vibhav Kamra, who is Chief Technology Officer at Kasten, now by VM. And Kasten is a company that I have always been interested in learning more about. So today I think we're going to get into the heart of it. Fibov, how would you describe Kasten? And then we can get into the story a little bit because it gets into a lot of the issues of the day that I'd like to address first. Hi, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Kasten, our focus is data management for Kubernetes applications. That's what we focus on. If you're running Kubernetes, you're deploying your applications, you obviously have state and data there that's valuable to you. Kasten is there to make sure um, you know you, you can operate these uh, at scale without worrying about things like data loss or ransomware or, or anything else that would come in anytime you're running such applications. So, Here we are, it's early 2021. It was about a year ago that I remember visiting my daughter in Dallas. And then I made a trip to Palm Springs to visit my dad. And it was on that Sunday afternoon, we were just about to fly back. And my uh, dad's wife said, they're calling it a pandemic. And we were like, we better get home. But we didn't really have any urgency about it, but we just said, we better get home. And once we got home, I think it was not, it was less than a week before everything started to really shut down. Everything shut down in the physical world, but in the virtual world, everything turned on. And data center capacity started to become a question mark. People wondered how they were going to be able to manage their e-commerce sites with all the traffic they were getting. So when you look back at that, it was a really an unprecedented situation. How did it come to be something that you studied? And did you study it? And what did you learn from it? And how did it reflect on your work in terms of data management? Well, what a year it's been. And, and I think it, it really happened very similar to for us as well. You know, we're sitting in the office in, I would say, early March or right at the end of February, making all these plans for what we're going to do with customers, how we're going to scale, talking to customers. And suddenly, like in a, in a week or two, conversations change completely. You know, the conversations went from we're doing Kubernetes, we're expanding, we're really interested in, uh, you know, moving to the cloud to all of a sudden, hold on, hold on, you know, we don't have time to talk. We need to figure out how to get, make sure things are running. To eventually, I think after we got through maybe the first quarter, I think that the conversation changed quite a bit. And the conversation changed to, you know, we really want to accelerate this move to the cloud. And we saw a lot of that. And, or we want to move, um, you know, we're, re- we're using this time to retool or spend a lot of time on retooling um, our, our infrastructure. 
And so what we started to see is really this adoption of cloud native ecosystem technologies, Kubernetes really started to accelerate, I would say maybe a quarter into a quarter or five months into uh, the pandemic. And so we went, that's the transition we've, we've been through. And, and it's been a really interesting year from not knowing what was going to happen to suddenly, you know, at least from my perspective, all these projects that we were tracking in Kubernetes in terms of adoption, just really blowing up and, and really moving forward with Gusto. That's, that's kind of what we've been observing. Really moving with Gusto. So who are the people who you were talking to and were they the ones responsible for keeping the infrastructure going? Yeah, so our, we typically end up talking to platform operations, platform infrastructure teams, and they're, they're definitely the ones responsible for not just keeping the infrastructure going, but also they're responsible for the new wave of infrastructure, or the next wave of infrastructure development that was happening. When the pandemic started, I think they focused, their focus switched completely to making sure everything was running. They could operate everything from home. They could continue to you know, keep doing what they're doing to once they had that under control, really figuring out, okay, things like uh, cost, you know, I need the elasticity. We used to always talk about elasticity and people would talk about scaling up. A lot of the conversations were around scaling down. How do we scale down infrastructure if, if we don't have enough customers who are using it or buying cars right now or doing those kind of things? And I think that's really when people started to focus more on what their cloud investments, what their cloud native investments were really going to give them. And, and that's where we saw, that's why we started to see them focus on those things a lot more. And you mentioned retooling. What were they needing to retool that brought them to you? Yeah, so I think it, it, for us, everything is really tied to the adoption of Kubernetes and, and the cloud native ecosystem. Our premises, and, and actually what we're seeing play out is that if you're adopting Kubernetes at a large scale, you're deploying applications, you're going into production, data protection, data management is key over there. You cannot safely run applications without having a story around that. Um, so for us, our adoption and our, our conversations are all tied to what are you doing with Kubernetes? What are you doing with your application development? What's changing there? And I think uh, a lot of folks have taken this opportunity to kind of double down on their container and cloud native adoption. And that has really helped drive a lot of the conversations that we have and the adoption we've seen. And so these companies started to really look at cloud native architectures and cloud native technologies. And for a lot of them, I know, they never had a platform before, really. They never had a platform engineering approach before. And there comes to be a lot of issues that surface when you're developing those cloud native architectures. You're dealing with multiple services, potentially, uh, microservices. You're dealing with multiple data stores. And it makes you wonder about how they were adapting to like these, these new concepts or were they really ready for it? And what, were, and what were the types of questions that you got? What were the issues that you were helping them really solve just from the get-go? Yeah, I think when it comes to state data storage systems, databases, you know, these things are complex. And anytime you're talking about running them in, in a different environment than, you know, you've been used to running them in for, let's say, the last five to 10 years. And, and we saw, by the way, we saw the same 
stuff show up when we went to from bare metal to virtualization, for example. Um, I was back at Microsoft then and we had this, I used to work in SQL Server and the same issues used to come up. How do we run SQL Server in a VM? Mm. Is it going to really work? Um, and so we started to see the same kind of issues over here. How am I going to run databases in these environments? Is it the right place to run it? Kubernetes is so dynamic. How are things going to work when pods are getting rescheduled or moved around? And so I think what you've seen, what we've seen is in the community, the, the data community, the storage community has really come together and spent a lot of time over the last, I would say, couple of years fixing or introducing kind of the new, new concepts in Kubernetes. You see all these working groups introducing those. You start to see all the database vendors now who are treating Kubernetes as a first-class citizen. So it's no longer, oh, you can run it in Kubernetes if you want to. We won't stand behind it. It is, you know what, this is we're actually Kubernetes first, or it's, it's a first-class citizen. So you start to see all of those investments coming in. And what we've been doing with customers, a lot of times it's just been, you know, highlighting those best practices, guiding them on, you know, this is how you should deploy. These are, these are, the, these are the tools available for you. As well as, you know, demonstrating through pro our own product um, that, you know what, you've got a data management story that you can deploy. It'll give you the security and peace of mind you want, and you'll be allows them to run these applications there. When you get into the, the, the issues, you find that a lot of the traditional storage practices don't really apply. How do you see that illustrated? Well, I think the big thing that we see and the big difference we see is the changing roles um, and how applications are built and, and, and a lot to do with the application architecture. So just to explain that a little bit more, you know, you start to see there's a lot less kind of visibility into what the applications are doing now. Applications have become, have adopted these microservice architectures. Applications are changing quite dynamically. Every new deploy of an application might bring in something new. We're starting to see things like polyglot persistence where individual services in the application are using different storage systems or different data services. So that control and visibility that operations or infrastructure teams used to have onto the storage stack or the storage services, I think that's gone away. And so when that's gone away, it's been hard for, for teams to say, okay, how do I protect data? How do I move data around? How do I guarantee things are in the right region? I have a DR plan. So we're seeing that. I think that's the biggest change that we've observed here in this environment. And that also brings doubt. You know, when you lose control, when you lose visibility, but your job is still to make sure that the lights are running and nothing bad happens it can be pretty daunting. And so that's kind of what we've been focused on to make sure you can still give the guarantees you need to still do your job in this environment. So in the olden days, I guess last year, or, <laughs> or you know, actually through the first part of this, uh, of this new century, and I think in the latter part of the 20th century, there was a lot of emphasis on you know, running your own data center and uh, to ensure that these systems are record were not lost, it was required to have a backup. And with a backup, then you would often have another data center where you would make sure everything was backed up. What has happened to that traditional backup method where now in Kubernetes, it's a stateless environment? It's a good question. And I think the way we lead with that also, the way I think about it is those requirements have not gone away. Those are those requirements, we might say they're from the olden days, but they're there for a reason. 
you know, whether it be regulation, compliance, or really just keeping the lights running and, and kind of what the best practices are, those things still apply. And the notion that, you know, we are moving to a completely stateless architectures and that there's no, in, or there's, everything can be rebuilt from scratch. I think that's really a fall, fallacy. And so, um, and I think customers are realizing that and they're seeing that either because they've had outages or they've lost data or they've run into those situations or just with education from folks like us and, and the community. Um, so I think a lot of what you asked about still is required. Um, you know, we start, we've seen changes, um, but changes are the same changes that are even happening with kind of traditional infrastructure as well, where, you know, there used to be this thing about three copies, one copy has to be on tape and those kind of things. And, and folks are a lot more comfortable now with maybe using object storage as a, as a target, as an archive. Um, and so those things are happening in with traditional infrastructure as well, as well as in cloud native, those things continue um, and the requirements are still there. So how do you manage object storage? So we use, um, you know, object storage for us as a first class citizen, as a target. Uh, we use it as a, a target for all our, um, our backups. Um, that's where the data resides. Uh, we take care of things. You know, we obviously have lifecycle management that we add on top. You know, if you want to move things around between object storages or different regions, uh, those kind of things. But object storage for us is typically the, um, the target that most customers want their backups to live on. We do get requests for folk, things like NFS or um, other archive, other stores, but object storage tends to be the one that is most asked for and is most common. Have you built your own object storage architecture or do you use a third party? We do not build our own object store. So we leverage, um, you know, typically customers will ask for AWS S3, or any of the cloud providers or, or something on-prem. So those are the targets that we support. We obviously have how the data resides there, the data format, things like deduplication, encryption, compression, all of these services we, we build on top of that as a backup product. That's what we have. That's our core, core product. But the storage system itself, we rely on, on third parties. And, and actually that's, that's been an important part of our philosophy from the beginning is use what the customer has, what they've adopted. Don't ask them to either change their infrastructure or change their applications just because they need backup or just because they need data management. So when you think of it in that regard, there's Kubernetes and, you know, with container architectures, there's just a real increase in components. You can have a hundred times increasing components. And I, as I understand with your technology, you, you, you capture the state of that to get mm -hmm. to an idea of, of the data management because the data management can be, you know, for anything. It can be uh, for, it can be, an, an object really can be anything now, right? right. It can be mm -hmm. a persona, it can be uh, an application. So how do you capture it? What is that process that you use and how does it relate to, you know, to, to the object storage itself? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think they're, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, when we started, and we started to think about data management in this environment, we, we asked ourselves, what is the operational unit? And the operational unit, what is the thing that you're deploying? What is the thing you want to move around? What is the thing you want to protect? And with traditional infrastructure, often the answer to that was, oh, it's a database. Oh, it's a, it's a VM, something like that. 
in this environment, the answer almost always was it's the application. And so we started to define what is it, what does an application look like in this environment? And an application looks like exactly what you said. It is a collection of a lot of things, all of these infrastructure components, certificates, secrets, configuration, personas, user accounts, data volumes, database services that might actually live outside of Kubernetes. All of this is the application. So in order to actually protect that, we have to go capture all of that. So what that means for us is, A, what you talked about, there's a lot more, you know, you've had this 100x or blow up in number of components. So we got to worry about that. And we also have to worry about building a catalog and a data store that can manage these efficiently. And so um, our object store, the way that we lay things out on the object store, the way we transfer data around, all of that is kind of geared for this kind of architecture, this kind of environment. And we had to go essentially build all of that um, from scratch. Hmm. That's the hard part then, because with that, you have to also be able to provide ways for them to recognize that work that you've done, right? You need to be able to show them visibility. You need exactly. to be able to show mm -hmm. them uh, their alerting systems, their monitoring systems. That, that complexity is changing. How do you see that complexity changing for customers and for you and your own challenges and you building out your own architecture? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've, you know, my colleagues and I, and we've been doing, we've kind of been in the infrastructure space for a long time. And it used to be that you would build a lot of these things, you know, you'd build your own visibility, your, your own monitoring solution, your own API, your own kind of authentication yeah. mechanisms. And, the realization for us here is that, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is these customers are adopting Kubernetes in the cloud native ecosystem. And it's happening throughout the stack. It starts with the developers. And really that's what's driving this. They want to use Docker. They want to use containers. And if you're using containers at scale, that's when Kubernetes comes in. So they're doing this. So they're bringing in all these cloud native um, technologies like Prometheus for, for your monitoring and your um, you're bringing in some security solution, your APIs are back. And so when we think about all the things you mentioned, um, the way we do it is making sure it's all cloud native. We integrate with these as, um, we don't ask customers to change what they're doing. We actually integrate with all of these solutions in the community. Um, so our APIs are exactly the same APIs as Kubernetes. Our, our back is the same mechanism. Our monitoring is just like you would monitor anything else going on in your environment we integrate um, with all of those components there. So that's your blueprint then, isn't it? Yeah, that, that really is, is what, what we call a blueprint. And, and, you know, we have two kind of things that we talk about. One is all the integrations we do with the monitoring, but also the realization that um, every application in this environment could end up being a snowflake, right? You're, you've got these mm -hmm. microservice architectures. Um, they can be very different. Every time you do a deploy, your application could be changing. And so we wanted to give application developers the control over data management, which traditionally they haven't had. It was always under operations. So we allow customers to specify what's called a blueprint and, and describe how they want things like backup and recovery and migration to work. Uh, and then, so we built a framework for that as well, which is our canister framework and, and has a concept of blueprints in there. Now, you also, have to think about managing all of these components, not just as a blueprint, but it also has to 
come with policy, doesn't it? Don't you need to have some policy-driven data management practice to go with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, what we're seeing happen is uh, data management and data protection has moved from being very static to more dynamic in these environments. And it's just a factor of how people are deploying applications in the environment, what their methodologies are that they're adopting. So if, if my definition of an application is changing every time I run a, a, a developer checks in something, then the way you set up your data management has to be policy-based. It cannot be static. You cannot say, you know, these are the containers I'm interested in, or these are the volumes of the databases I'm interested in. It has to be kind of at a higher level, you know, something that uh, a concept where you express your desire, what you want, you know, an SLA, um, for example, I want all my applications protected is a very simple policy and let the system kind of take that intent and then make it happen rather than you say, okay, I want this container or this image protected. Uh, and so that's something that we've introduced as well. And, and we see, we see it getting adopted and, and things moving from being very static to more dynamic. Mm. Over there. How do you see that moving from static to dynamic? What are some like, what are some of the customers who you've talked to recently who yeah. reflect that? Yeah, actually it's a great, and, and I've been thinking about this as well. And, and it's really fun when you actually see it play out and not yeah. because you said you told a customer to do something, but because it kind of was just the way things played out naturally. So for example, often when we'll go and talk to operation teams and, and they'll you know deploy data protection, you know, you'll set up um, data protection, data management jobs that say, go protect a certain application, um, go uh, run it this often, um, capture, you know, run the policy this often. And what we've started to see is that's typically how customers will start off. But what they'll realize is, you know, the applications in my cluster every day are, are growing, they're increasing, or new applications show up or applications go away. It's so dynamic that whatever they've defined statically just doesn't keep up. So one of the things we've done in the platform is we've built um, alerting for when applications or components show up in the environment, which are not covered by your, your policies. And so that alerting, you know, has really helped people discover that these static policies are not really useful and they've started to move to more dynamic policies. So now when we go in, I start off with a customer who has like five policies defined that are very static. When we go in the next time, we'll start to see them change a little bit and they've changed it to, okay, um, uh, protect every application that has a label attached to it. You know, so those are kind of the examples that that's, that's an example of what we've seen um, where things have become more dynamic. How do you see people evolving in their roles and responsibilities mm -hmm. as you start moving from these static to these more dynamic environments? You know, we, we often talk about, you know, self-service shows up over here a lot. So one of the things that we are seeing is, the focus a lot is on enabling uh, capabilities in the platform and allowing DevOps tool users or more developers to actually leverage them on their own. So we see a lot more asks for, um, let us you know, deploy data management, but let customers back up their own applications mm -hmm. or restore their own applications. Or how do I enable my users to do this without ever talking to me? 
And how do I enable my, my developers so that if they decide to use a new database tomorrow, they don't need to get me involved. They can automatically, they can deploy it. I don't have to talk to them and it automatically, I can guarantee that it's gonna be protected. So we start to see, I've seen, I think we've seen the role change for me. I've seen it change from, you know, go do something to more being an enabler, you know, make sure the platform is there, it's healthy and it can enable developers to do what they want to do. Are you seeing much overlap? One of the issues that we saw a year or so ago in the Kubernetes community came with who's the developer, who does the configurations, who manages the policies. And there Mm -hmm. was questions about developers doing the configurations and that became a flashpoint of concern. Yeah. How do you see things now? Yeah, I think there, there's definitely concern there. And I think the concern was always, is always when you have multiple groups trying to do the same, maybe try to do the same thing, then there's always the concern that none of them might do it and things might fall, fall out. So you might actually end up with a situation where if you just take backup, for example, no one's actually doing the backup and you only discover it when you have like a data loss scenario. So what I'm seeing happen there, and I think it's actually really great is, you know, first off, the community has always been about infrastructure as code, shift left, automation. So instead of um, what we're seeing things like OPA show up, which is open policy agent, people setting up policies in the cluster to make guarantee that the right things happen. So the automation will make sure that the right things happen. Now, whether it is kind of more platform ops um, taking over those responsibilities or developer tool uh, groups taking over those responsibilities. That's always, it changes depending on the environment, the culture, the groups, but people are making sure that these things are in place so that uh, things don't get dropped. So I think that's been a big change. Um, and I've actually see it as response to an issue that we had, you know, maybe a year, year and a half ago. So tell everyone out there who's listening, what is OPA? Yeah, so OPA is, is uh, it is a CNCF project now. It's a, uh, it's, uh, allows you to set policy in the system and it can be your policy can be whatever you, you want. It can be, uh, you know, I want to make sure that a certain storage system never shows up or I want to make sure that if someone deploys a volume or an application that has some state, it always comes with a data protection policy, for example. And that's how we've seen our customers use it. So that's where, for example, platform ops can go in and say, okay, we've got a data management, a backup solution deployed. And we've also created a policy in the system that if you deploy an application, you must define a data protection policy for it. Uh, So those those are the things we start to see. And it's really exciting. It helps kind of then align matters better. What are some of the challenges that are coming out of it? I, I keep thinking about data because you talk about how there was, you know, your, your customers are, are backing up their own applications and the data management is, um, is the service that you provide. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, what are the, you know, the inherent challenges that are starting to emerge? One of the things I think about is, managing multiple clusters, uh, for instance. Uh, you know, you might have um, multi-tenancy issues, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, h- how are issues like that coming, coming into, uh, you know, in, in, into your camp, so to speak? How are you yeah. starting to see these issues emerge? Yeah, and, and it's actually really interesting you bring it up because 
you know, it has just been the natural progression of things and how we've seen it happen where, you know, you went from maybe last year just seeing customers with maybe a handful of Kubernetes clusters to now having so many of them that managing all of them as a unit is, is really what is top of mind. Uh, so we, we've seen this ask multi-tenancy shows up a lot, especially not just with service provider environments, but even within the enterprise, a single enterprise, you're, you're starting to see that, especially as people want to enable self-service uh, in these environments. You know, our, our, we've spent a lot of time actually in, in recently, in fact, our last major release was all around kind of multi-cluster management, multi-tenancy, our back in these environments. Um, Kubernetes actually does not have a multi-cluster kind of our back story. So that's where, you know, we've had to do more work and, 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 and provide one over there. Um, so those are, those are some of the things we're doing, but absolutely. These are the, some of the discussions we, we are, we are having now given where customers are. Well, maybe we'll just finish things up by, you know, talking a little bit about the types of issues that you see emerging in the next, uh, you know, in the next year, I think, you know, what, what you're saying right there, the Kubernetes are backstory. Yeah, I think multi-cluster um, and uh, is is definitely top of mind uh, for a lot of our customers right now. And, and it's throughout the ecosystem. If you talk to, I, I would say any kind of vendor, any customer, um, they're, they're starting to see these issues and thinking about that. The community is actually doing a lot of work here. Um, multi-cluster, which was kind of languishing and just kind of chugging along for a bit has now actually picked up steam. So there's a lot of work starting to happen there. Um, we are uh, seeing the multi-cluster R backstory evolve there. That's kind of what we are focused on as well right now. Um, and so we're doing a lot of work for that as well. Um, and then, you know, if you talk about challenges, I think things like security and, you know, ransomware, these are also some of the things that are actually very high, very top of mind for customers right now. Um, you know, given what we're seeing almost every day, you're, you're hearing this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, not really a Kubernetes challenge, but when we start thinking about data management in these environments, that's another place where um, I think uh, we're seeing a lot of focus and, and um, those are some of the challenges that need to be solved. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks so much, Alex. Always wanted to do this. I'm glad I had the opportunity. Thank you so much. Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Makers at thenewstack.io slash podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Kasten, an independent Kubernetes business unit within Veeam, is the market leader for Kubernetes backup, disaster recovery, and mobility. Kasten is tackling day two data management challenges by helping teams run cloud-native applications. Its award-winning K10 data management platform is easy to use, scalable, secure, and runs everywhere Kubernetes exists.